Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Grumpy Young Men on the Believe Network. I am Jason Waller here with my co host, Alex Meschi. Join us as we take a real look at reality. Whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome back to another episode of Grumpy Young Men on the Believe Network. What up, Big A? What's going on, Jay? How you doing? Dude, I'm doing good, man. Hey, I got an amazing shower fact today. Yeah, let's fire All it. All right, bro. You heard about the uh, release of the uh, Ford Bronco, right? Coming back? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you know when it's coming back? Uh, sometime this year. It looks actually pretty good. I was thinking about possibly looking at one. Yeah, bro. But you know what the date is? What's the date? July 9th. And what? Five days after 4th of July? What's the big deal? Bro. Ryan, Ryan, what's the big deal with July 9th? That happens to be OJ Simpson's birthday. Oh, so I should pre-order a white Bronco. Oh, dude. Crazy, right? So for those of you who uh, don't remember or are too young or just don't know, uh, everybody knows OJ in his case. They they, just had a whole thing on uh, come out on on ESPN about his whole thing. Yeah, but let's be honest. Not everybody's watching that stuff or even learning or paying attention. It's just on in the background while they're on Instagram. Whatever. We're not going to dive into this. (laughs) OJ's got the Broncos coming out on his birthday. That is gnarly. There's no way they didn't do that on purpose, too, by the way. No, it's for sure. For sure. On purpose. That's a great marketing team. All right, guys, we got a lot of stuff to go over this week. Uh, I'm feeling, you know, a little riled, a little ready. Uh, You know, I'm going to throw I want to talk about, dude, we got another dude that was shot. uh, from police and uh, Alex and I were we were about to have a conversation about it, but we thought, hey, let's talk about this on the show. So, Alex, uh, in Atlanta, uh, after everything that's gone on, you know, this last month and a half, it's just been crazy. Uh, another man uh, gets pulled over for uh, a DUI, I believe, correct? Uh, yeah. So essentially, it was a a guy that was asleep in a drive-through out of Wendy's okay. in Atlanta. The uh, cars were getting backed up in the drive-through. The cops were called. They were essentially trying to arrest this guy for a DUI. And then next thing you know, things escalated. And unfortunately, another life was lost due to the hands of cops. Now, yeah, let's hear. So my, my whole belief in this, I'll just ask you a straight question. Is okay. Yeah, dude, this guy was, he's under the influence. He's, you know, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's um, resisting arrest. Uh, you know, he's, he's causing all sorts of issues. He ends up, uh, obviously wrestling the cops to the ground, ends up pulling a taser out, pulling one of the cops tasers out while running and then shoots him with a taser, uh, uh, tries to shoot him with the taser. And then he ends up getting shot and killed. So my question is, is okay, look, obviously, you know, there's a lot that was going on from seeing multiple angles, multiple components of the video. My question is, why didn't the cop just shoot him in the leg? Why has he got to shoot him in the back and kill him? Um, well, I mean, I think part of it has to do with one, when you're in that situation, you're not going to be the most competent marksman, uh, especially with the police mentality. I mean, most of them are trained that you fire until the the slide racks back, which means, you know, if you're going to shoot once you shoot 10 times or 13 times or however many is in the magazine. Uh, with that being said, you know, you, you see all these movies and some of them are kind of accurate on depictions of war and stuff. But once again, if it takes one bullet to kill somebody, why do you have a 30 round magazine that's fully automatic? Right. Cause the idea is that you're trying to increase the odds of hitting somebody um, and 
chances are you don't know where you're going to hit them. You're just trying to either, you know, incapacitate them so that they're not fighting you anymore. Or, you know, the other example of what happened in Atlanta, unfortunately, you know, alcohol never makes the situation any better. Correct. Um, there's video where the cops are literally trying to just take this guy in and the guy starts resisting arrest. So now is it an example of police brutality? Mm, I don't know about that. Excessive use of force. Maybe. Uh, but I don't want to talk about that. That's neither here nor there. Let's just, let's talk about the situation in very black and white. What happened, right? So let's talk about it. You have a guy that is drunk to the point of falling asleep in a Wendy's, uh, Wendy's drive through. Right. And according to the transcript from the video, the guy was trying to plead with the cops that he lived on the other side of a freeway that wasn't even existent in Atlanta. Okay. That's how inebriated this gentleman was. Now from there, I mean, Anyone can tell you, regardless of race, religion, gender, sex, doesn't matter. You fight with cops, it's never going to end well. Correct. Um, you know, you know that. I know that. Yeah, most no, look, people know look, that. I, I think, look, there needs to be a sense, you know, a certain amount of respect for, you know, the, for the police. And I think that they have, uh, you know, the, obviously the authority, there needs to be that place. But I also think that in that specific situation, you know, the guy was, he was, he was running while shooting the taser. The taser never even hit him. If it hit him, that would have been, then it would have been more inclined for, I understand for him to shoot. Cause then, yeah, he gets shot. It debilitates him. There is another cop there, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that kind of changes the whole thing. But after the fact that he tries to shoot him with it, he runs, you know, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go after him, I think, you know, shoot him in the leg. Yeah. I mean, if you're that good at aiming, especially under duress in that situation, yeah, you know, but then you also or, or let me ask you a question. Why not let him just let him run? I mean, why shoot him? You now your life's not in, in danger. Yeah, but now he's potentially a danger to the community. So I, I don't think you can necessarily let him just go. You obviously have to try and detain him or, you know, put him in the drunk tank until he comes to senses. But, you know, I feel like what this has kind of turned into is another episode of the whole Tiger King thing. And the reason why I say that, and it's also similar to Ozark, which is also popular right now, but the crazy thing in my head is that when you watch these shows, you're obviously watching uh, Tiger King specifically, you're watching nothing but, in my opinion, bad people, right? Uh, But by the end of the season- they're not all bad. uh, They're all bad. (laughs) (laughs) But when it first started, I'll be honest, I felt bad for Carol Baskin. I felt like these guys were targeting her or whatever. And by the end, I hated all of them, right? Uh, Maybe not hate. That's too strong of a word for people I don't even know. But there was a general displeasure with all these people for the atrocities that they've done, whether it's leveraging the government to go after your competition or this, that, killing your husband, whatever. But either way, it's almost like we take this dinner for schmucks and we start celebrating one of them. And they turn into the kind of like this anti-hero, right? And as a public society, we're almost condoning it because they're the champion of the scenario, right? So whether a guy is pulling a taser or the cops are shooting people or this or that, I think what it comes down to is that people are emotionally looking at one side or the other without looking at a logical situation. Logical situation would be, let's look at all the events that transpired up until the unfortunate loss of a life. And that was no form of cooperation so uh, no look and i'm I, I again is i i understand the circumstances of what took place i you know i'm fully aware uh, of all that and i totally think again it goes back to respecting the police respecting you know the law and order i fully believe in law and order 
Um, you know, there was a lot of events that led up to this guy, you know, being shot, but again, is, is looking at it. It's something to talk about because I, I personally believe you know, there's, especially with all this talk about, you know, defunding the police. It's like, dude, you know, we need police. And I, my question to people is be like all the people that are saying, let's defund the police. It's like, how many of you guys have actually called the police and asked for, you know, asked for help during time? Like there's, there's so much stuff that we could talk around, you know, about the police. And I believe in that whole situation, but I guess it's just more from our perspective on what we're seeing and what we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, is, is there's a, we're in this, this societal realm right now where there's just, it's, we're so split. Uh, and I'm looking at like, kind of just bringing common language around this because look again, this thing takes over the whole news. It's, and now it's all, it's being talked about. Like I'm a firm believer. We need police. I'm a firm believer that they, they support our community, that we need them, that they're, they're there. And again, as I was a person that was, I've been arrested a bunch of times. I've been, I've been roughed up by the police, you know? So again, is, is, but I think it's from my perspective of, of you bring up a great point is it was the point of resisting. I mean, you're asking for all sorts of trouble. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned that you've had experience with the cops and I know you've had experiences where you cooperated and there were times where you probably didn't because of, you know, maybe alcohol or something else. I've been completely choked out. I mean, completely choked out. So based on those two polar opposites, right? What happened when you cooperated versus when you resisted? I'm sure the outcomes were totally different, right? They were totally different. And again, and that's the thing to keep in mind too, is, you know, a lot of these officers, I mean, I know a lot of officers that are good cops. They are their dads, their mothers, you know, they, they have families at home. They're trying to get home as well. And like, they're in a very, very particular situation. So I don't know. I think it's something that is good to talk about. I mean, look, people can get very, very heated on one side or the other about this. And that's why I'm trying to bring it to the middle of just kind of looking at like what it is that we need. I mean, if I, if my personal belief around the whole police thing, I think this, if you want my two cents on it, I mean, I think if anything, they need more funding. Uh, you know, these police officers go through so much, obviously they need, they need more training, but even stuff that people don't realize is they go through so much stuff like PTSD, trauma, and all these different instances that are never, ever processed. I believe that they need to be going to like a course of, of work like that on an annual basis. Like there's a program that's amazing called Onsite where they do a year's worth of therapy uh, in one week. I feel like almost all police officers or any first responders should all have to go to something like that to be able to process what it is they're going through. Because every single day, I mean, we don't know what it is they see outside of, of this stuff. I can tell you from stories and th- hearing things. I mean, they've seen and been, they risk their own lives to save a person they don't even know. So I don't know. That's something for me where like, it's just a quick t- tidbit around that is as opposed to just defunding all this. It's because it's like, dude, it's because there's one a bad apple doesn't make the whole place, you know, a, a, a bad source. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So you, you brought up a couple of things that really turn on the light bulb for me. So I had a discussion with my dad this weekend about, you know, the police activities and things that have been going on. And I've also talked to some other friends that um, I'll be perfectly upfront. We don't necessarily see eye to eye, you know, on politically, socially, those kinds of issues. But I was able to take away things from both of them and kind of put it together with some of my own opinions on how to go about the police reform. Uh, I don't want to say defund the police because I agree with you. I think they need more funding. Uh, I just think the funding needs to be allocated differently and police officers uh, similar to like any other business, any other industry, they need a, a diversification of specialties, right? So you have those cops that have a badge, they got the bulletproof vest, they got the AR in the trunk and SWAT gear and all that stuff. And they're meant to take out thugs, drug dealers, bad apples, right? But with domestic abuse and things like that, that have more of a psychological aspect, I'm sorry, a guy with a GED or a high school diploma is not capable of tackling any sort of, you know, uh, 
I wouldn't say therapeutic situation. Um, however, they can also be dangerous situations, right? Uh, domestic abuse, there may be violence, there may be a gun, threats, this, that, whatever. So you still need someone with a police background. So they know how to deal with the hazard, right? But I feel like you need more psychological or mental health involvement to help the the mental aspect. Because in today's day and age in society, there's a lot of distractions, this, that, whatever the reason is, I feel like majority of people are not in the right uh, sense of thinking, especially with, you know, COVID lockdowns, this, that stress, anxiety, whatever um, you and I, we've seen mental health has been on a downward trend, right? So I think we take resources, we train a certain group of police officers, you know, one to deal with the kids, one to deal with the adults, but they have a mental health uh, uh, specialty. Right. So it's just adding in their training with more therapeutic modalities, what you're getting at. Correct. But it's not going to be for every police officer because let's be honest, not every police officer is going to be good at de-escalating those kinds of situations. No, right? 100%. So on top of that, now, a big question is how do we hold these guys accountable? Right. And my idea would be take it back to the Wild West days. Wild West was crazy. Every town had a sheriff. That sheriff lived in the town that made that person accountable because everybody knew him and he knew everybody. So whereas you look at a town like Laguna Beach, where you grew up, right? Uh, Officer Martinez, he was the guy arresting you half the time. You knew him. He knew everybody. He knew the community. The community knows him. There's that mutual respect, right? Versus say, you know, an LAPD officer that doesn't even live in LA. Maybe he lives in Corona or Riverside. He's not even from there. Yeah, but how does that? So I totally understand the small cities like Laguna, Corona Mar, Newport Beach. I mean, but how do you do that? in these major cities where there's so many people you can't have that camaraderie and that fellowship and and it's such a small niche you know component like you do in laguna yeah but let's be honest one lapd officer is not patrolling all of la they're usually in one little area they got their beat i would suggest that wherever you're patrolling should be your community so like we live in irvine right so if we're going to be police officers we're irvine pd that's it. And if we want to go work in another city, we need to go live in that other city. And I would be okay with using tax dollars to subsidize these officers to live in the communities that they're serving. Okay. Rather than just giving the money so for other causes. So you're saying you want them to build rapport within their own community. I think that's a really, I think that's a, a cool idea. How else are you supposed to protect and serve? You don't even know the people. How do you serve them? Yeah. Right. So I think that would also keep them accountable because now these officers are looking at these people like their neighbors, not just some thugs from another town. Right. Yeah. So you combine that with the specialization of uh, more psychological or mental health uh, resources for these officers and or having specialized officers. Uh, I mean, what better way would, would it be to have a licensed clinical social worker who also has a badge and a gun that's able to take care of these kids that are being, you know, trafficked, molested, abused, whatever, but they know how to deal with the trauma and they also know how to protect them from the hazards. Yeah, no, I think, I think you can even, I mean, to, so again, I don't know any of the qualifications to be a police officer and stuff, but I think it, you know, the barrier to entry needs to be a little bit higher. Uh, cause I know that a lot of people can, uh, go in. I don't think the hours are super crazy. I think it, I know, I know this is my wife came to me and told me for cosmetology, she had to do more hours than what it is to become a police officer. Yeah. And the same goes for pretty much anybody in the medical field or mental health field, or even some, you know, trades, uh, so, and I think that in that, with that being said, I think pay should go up. I think that, you know, again, as I think the curriculum, I think there should be a higher standard to become a police officer. I was shocked when my wife told me that again, it, looking at it, I want to say it's like less than a thousand hours to become a police officer. Some of that is ride along. Some of that is course. Some of it's testing all these different things. And 
But I was just shocked. I was like, wow, I didn't really know that. Because there's a lot of, it takes about a year to become a police officer. I thought, I thought it was, took long. I personally thought it took longer than that. So I was, that's something I learned. Um, but anyways, I think it's something that was good. I just wanted to touch on this because it is, it's going to be a, a common theme for the next, for a while. It's going to probably go into election. It's going to probably go into many different things. So I think it's good to give our stance on it. I mean, again, as somebody that supports the police, I think they're important. I think that there definitely needs to be some shifts and changes. Um, you know, and, and again, as I can't even imagine what it would be like without police. I think people, if, if, if you haven't seen what's going on in Seattle, check it out. It's pretty crazy. It's, uh, it's gnarly. It's not a place that I want to live. Well, to be honest, if you want to know what it's like to live in a place without police, you just got to look at Mexico over the last 20 years. I mean, more or less, the police dwindled, the cartels moved in, and then eventually the uh, federal government had to step in and start basically providing paramilitary to start combating these guys. And yeah, they've made good traction, you know, um, but it's far from, you know, and for the United States to get to that point, uh, I want to say from a societal point of view, I don't think we'll ever get there because there's just too much diversity. I feel like, uh, we don't have the ability to, uh, come in unity behind one cause to create that kind of chaos. Everybody's going to be infighting and things will just fizzle out. Uh, like we've seen over the years with some of these movements and stuff that, you know, whether it's the tea party or occupy wall street, everything's all a hubbub for six months and then just kind of dies out because people lose interest or, you know, the next Netflix shows on. But, uh, it's, it's one of those, uh, subjects where I, I believe that reform is definitely needed. It definitely scares me to see these police guys and tanks and armored personnel carriers and being suited up like they're going to war when it's just, you know, us civilians. Um, granted, some of them are creating chaos within their communities, but, you know, goes back to the uh, statistic things. Not all people are thugs. Not all cops are bad. Not all, you know, uh, whatever, whatever. Everybody's so busy overgeneralizing everything that I think that, um, it takes away from the positive, especially uh, with all the negative that's been going on, whether you're listening to the news or, you know, people are losing their jobs. We got like, what, 37 million unemployed or 41 million something. Uh, there's a lot of negative uh, that makes it easy to get consumed with. And the sad thing about negative thoughts and negative emotions is that psychologically they hit harder and they stay with you longer. Correct. Right. So people are more inclined to forget about all the good stuff, focus on the bad stuff. And it just creates this degradation. Well, that's funny. You said, I mean, just some takeaways that I have on that is, I mean, Ashley, for example, she deleted my wife, she deleted her Instagram, which inspired me to actually get off of it for, uh, for a while. And, you know, actually just really focus on it for more of a work component and just posting stuff that I, that I, I feel is appropriate for the things that we're doing. Um, but we don't watch news at night. I was somebody that was watching the news from six o'clock, 6 PM till I would fall asleep. And now we've, you know, we ended up watching movies and cause it is so easy to get wrapped up into it. And like, I even saw myself getting aggressive, you know, around certain things. So it was like, this is just, this is irrelevant, you know? And, and that's why, again, is like, I take, I'm, I really focus on taking time you know, doing the things that I love, whether it be going to the beach, spending time with my daughter, spending time with my wife, going up to Lake Arrowhead, wakeboarding. It's just like, it's, you have that choice every single uh, day you wake up and your feet hit that floor. Are you going to engage in the negative or are you going to partake in positive? And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a, a society today where everybody psychoanalyzes everything and looks too deeply into stuff. So I'm going to ask you a sensitive question here is, uh, you know, your parents are both immigrants to the United States, right? Your mother is Korean. Your father is Iranian. Um, you know, and I have a question for you is, do you believe that you, the United States is 
you know, around racism, right? Do you think the United States is still a racist country? I don't believe the country itself is racist, nor the policies. I mean, anything after the whole Jim Crow stuff kind of negates most of that. Uh, And I'm not going to, I'll speak on some of the experiences that my dad had um, when he first came to this country, since he shared those with me and some of them are pretty vivid to where they stuck out. But uh, I also experienced my own share um, in a different way. So when my dad first came to the United States, it was right around the Iranian hostage crisis. And he came over here with a student visa to go study electrical engineering in Ohio. And the first instant that when he landed in New York, he got into a taxi cab. And mind you, in Iran, pretty much the demographic is going to be like a either tan Muslim or a pale skin Muslim, depending on where you live for city versus country. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first real experience my dad had with. Hispanics and blacks. Okay. First taxi he got into out of uh, LaGuardia airport was a black taxi cab driver. My dad didn't know how much anything costed. He had about $3,000 cash handed the guy cash said, Hey, take whatever the fare is and just give me the change, please. Okay. Well, the guy gave my dad back $17 out of three grand. So not only was my dad a broke college kid where the money didn't exactly Uh, It didn't convert in his favor, right? He had to work three jobs on top of going to school uh, full-time. So three full-time jobs on top of full-time school. Um, My mom, on the other hand, uh, when she first moved over here, she, uh, my dad landed on the East coast. My mom moved in on the West coast. My mom, along with her family living in Linwood were nothing but harassed by Hispanics. Okay. So they definitely got their share that, I would be understanding if they're like, you know what? We don't like these people. Okay. Now, when I was being raised, obviously being raised in Irvine, Mission Viejo, Orange County, uh, we have a pretty uh, diverse group, right? The one thing I'll never forget, and mind you, my dad's Muslim, where most people in the Muslim faith are pretty conservative to Islam, right? And they breed into it. So I would be then Muslim by birth. I would be Muslim by culture. I would be Muslim by lifestyle, right? My dad gave me the freedom to explore my own individuality, whether it was religion, whether it was who I hung out with, uh, whether it was uh, pretty much anything. And I definitely am grateful for that opportunity because mind you, my mom um, has a displeasure towards the Japanese uh, culture mainly because of the Korean Japanese uh, incidents in Korea where it's uh, not worth getting into, but it was bad times for Koreans. And uh, my mom's family was subject to some of that. Right. However, you remember in first grade, I had a Japanese friend. Yeah. Parents were totally cool with them. Mikey, right? Yep. Yeah, man. So beat that kid up a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> so they were totally understanding, totally open, you know, and, and to them, it wasn't a cultural thing. It was a, personal thing right so they didn't hold the atrocities of these other cultures towards them they just figured these were bad people that they ran into so the lack of overgeneralization was there now where this translated into my own personal experience was shortly after 2001 right so in 2000 i'm in high school 2001 i'm still in high school and my birthday happened to be september 11th okay yeah uh, I remember vividly, I'm in French class, they're singing happy birthday in French and tower two comes down and everybody stopped halfway through my birthday song. I never knew this. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Right. So 
thereafter, everybody knew that my dad was Persian. And when the whole weapons of mass destruction and anti-Muslim, Islamophobia, xenophobia, whatever was coming out, I was getting roasted for that, despite most people see me as like a half white, half Asian dude, right? Maybe uh, Hawaiian, maybe even Hispanic if I'm wearing sunglasses. But now I'm getting heat because of my last name, right? So that was the first time I started feeling that kind of animosity or that, uh, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily racism, Muslim is not a race, but xenophobia, right? And it was definitely a little bit more challenging. Uh, and then the next bit was when it came to applying for college. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but if you check the Asian box on your applications, you actually get docked points. And I got docked on my SATs and I got docked on my applications and I still had to get through. Why? Um, because of the influx of Asian students that were coming over as foreign exchange to the UC school systems, uh, UCLA, UC Irvine, UC Riverside, all those UCs were cutting back on Asian students in the demographic Mm. because of diversity requirements. Okay. So I remember I, I got minus 380 points for checking the Asian box. I still got a 1480 on my SATs and I couldn't get into UC Riverside. And I'm going, how does that make any sense? Right. But I mean, lo and behold, baseball was my winning ticket into college. So I'm thankful for that. However, even despite not being one of those minorities that people see as being segregated or um, prejudiced towards, I still felt it. And that was living here in Orange County. Right. So going back to your question, is the United States racist? I don't believe so. I just think people tend to overgeneralize over stereotype and or pass it through their family, you know, especially if you look at the South and the whole Confederacy and all that stuff, right? Racism is not a a policy thing. It's not a genetic thing. It's purely a social thing. Yeah. It's taught. It's not, you're not born with it. No, and I, look, I I think that's, I really appreciate you sharing. Some of that stuff I had no idea and I've known you for 27 years, 28 years. I had no idea some of those things that you went through, especially stuff around your birthday. And I never even thought that like, I just, it's crazy. And I appreciate you being so open and transparent around that because that vulnerability is, is you could feel it through that process. And, and it's good to hear that though, because I mean, the reason why I asked is because I just heard an interesting statistic yesterday is because I, I firmly believe that racism is, is taught. You're not, you know, I don't look at like my little daughter and like, Oh, you're a little right. You know, like it's just like, you have to teach you have to teach people around that, you know, and to have judgment and to be biased and stuff like that. And I think it's so important that, you know, again, is the, how you heal a lot of this is you, you heal within the home, right? It's through the parenting. I mean, look at, you look at the, the there was a statistic that came out with the divorce rate. Uh, and it is, it, it is staggering. Not only that, but how many, how many kids grow up with, without dads? Uh, I want to say in the Caucasian uh, uh, demographic, it is around 40% in the African-American uh uh community is it's around 70 percent uh and i don't know that this is just something i heard yesterday through through the news and you know but it also got me to think though too but it also said like the interracial marriages is one out of every five marriages so i think like a lot of the racism thing is is it became a lot more clear to me at least in my eyes that it's it's definitely not us as a country but uh, uh, others as individuals yeah totally you know and on the interracial relationships uh I mean, there's you're always wrong. you're always dating other every you're like the United Nations, man. You got a white, you got an Asian, you got a Korean, you got a black, you got a green, you got everybody. Yeah, you gotta you gotta keep it interesting, right? But um 
on that, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with preference, right? You're only going to love who you love. And sometimes there's cultural things. And I'm not talking like the arranged marriage stuff. I'm talking, you know, it's culturally like for me, example, uh, being a Christian guy, I'm probably going to look towards a Christian woman, right? Christian Catholic, some denomination of Christianity, just because, uh, lifestyle culturally, what we believe principles, there's more alignment there. Right. Correct. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be closed minded, uh, in regards to if somebody else is checking the same boxes, just because their skin's a little too dark or too light or their hair is the wrong color or this and that. And I feel, you know, especially with today with the instant gratification and online dating and stuff, it's all surface level. You know, it, you're straight up swiping right because she's got blue eyes and bangs, and you're like, yeah. Next thing you know, you blue, go on a, blue eyes and bangs, dude. Yeah. I don't ladies, know. you hear that? Um, drop bangs, jeez, <laughs> bro. Alex is stuck in the '80s. But yeah, I mean, so many people are going for a surface, and then you go on your first date, and you can't wait to get out of there because you just took out a complete nut job, and you're like, no wonder you're 33 and single. Well, yeah, me too. But <laughs> but it's Jeez. it's one of those things where I, I feel like because either life is too fast paced, people's attention spans are too short, there's too much content or distraction, people aren't willing to get to know each other, you know? That's what I think a big, I mean, that, I mean, I think it's so important to be raised and have a solid foundation, have, you know, good parents, good mentors, you know, and for those that aren't, it's, it's attached, attached to those people that are around you that, that are doing good, you know, that motivate you, that inspire you, um, you know, cause you bring up, you bring up such a point, good point with the instant gratification. We live in such a false sense of reality. I, I say that all the time. And it's like, God, like the meaningful, it's like it, all the relationships, so many people that a lot of my friends have even dude is like, they're, they're only an inch deep. You know, nobody has uh real you know real real connected relationships i feel like anymore it's very few and far between you know it's it's not many yeah you know and looking at your circles of friends and stuff i mean if you're surrounding yourself with people that you have to keep secrets from and you can't get vulnerable with then honestly you should probably reevaluate those relationships because those are those one inch deep relationships that's what i've i just started doing man as part of doing my one year and my five-year plan uh you know i literally created a little uh my mentor gave me a, a thing to fill out and it was basically the center circles myself you know the the donut circle around that is family and then i do two other circles that create a four a group of four people and a group of six people and that's like my inner circle and it's just amazing i'm so grateful i even have that you know i thought i was only gonna have like less than less than uh one hand I can count on of people I could really, really trust. And I'm grateful that I, I got, I got both hands, but it's, you know, it's, it's developing and, and, and really getting into those people on a deeper level. Yeah. So I think that concludes this show. Uh, what should we do for a takeaway today? You got anything good? No, I mean, I do, do something nice for somebody, you know, get caught. Yeah. About that? All right. So I'll expand on that action for the day. Go out, talk to somebody and try and spread positivity. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Have a good day, guys. That's Grumpy Young Men on the Believe Network. Alex Catch you is next grumpy. Week. Alex is grumpy. <laughs>